0: Hello, and welcome to my office. I'm Dr. Lucy McBride, and this is Beyond the Prescription, the show where I talk with my guests like I do my patients, pulling the curtain back on what it means to be healthy, redefining health as more than the absence of disease. As a primary care doctor for over 20 years, I've realized that patients are much more than their cholesterol and their weight, that we are the integrated sum of complex parts, our stories live in our bodies. I'm here to help people tell their story, to find out, are they okay? And for you to imagine and potentially get healthier from the inside out. You can subscribe to my weekly newsletter at lucymcbride.com newsletter and to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's get into it and go beyond the prescription. Joining me today is the incredibly talented principal ballerina for the New York City Ballet, Tyler Peck. Tyler has danced since she was two years old, beginning in her mother's dance studio at home. Tyler's illustrious career, however, came screeching to a halt when she developed a herniated disc in her neck that threatened her career as a dancer and almost robbed her of her identity and passion. Tyler joins me today from her dressing room to describe the emotional and physical journey of recovering her mobility, learning about herself, and giving herself permission to trust her own body. Tyler, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so glad to be here. Nice to meet you, Lucy. It's lovely to meet you in so many ways. What has interested me in following you, Tyler, is, well, there are a couple things. Number one, that you're able to completely reinvent the way You trained your body and then related to audiences during the pandemic. You went from performing in the New York City Ballet to performing on Instagram Live. And then the other thing that is particularly interesting to me as a physician is seeing how you recovered from this pretty traumatic injury mentally and physically. So many of my patients struggle with injuries that not only threaten their everyday wellness their ability to move and run and jump and exercise but also cause significant emotional distress so i wanted to talk to you about the the physical and emotional fallout from your neck injury and maybe we start with telling people how did that all start and were there signs of this neck issue being a problem before that moment in time when you woke up and couldn't move
1: So as a dancer, I always have little things. I mean, there's really never a time where my body feels 100% perfect. You know, we always have either aches and pains. I used to get kind of like a stiff neck. And it was nothing that like the physical therapist couldn't, you know, work with me and then get me like on the stage. It wasn't anything that was like so debilitating. However, this one morning when I woke up, I literally couldn't move. Like I was in so much pain, even doing nothing. Like I remember my mom taking me out to breakfast and we had to leave because I was so uncomfortable just sitting. And I was like, something's wrong, mom. Like this doesn't sound or feel like a normal stiff neck that can be kind of just fixed with rehab. So I actually called my physical therapist and was talking with her. and. You know, it eventually came to the conclusion that I think we need to get an MRI because I had a little tingling in my fingers as well. And then just like pain, like it was like I constantly wanted to rub my arm because I thought it would like make it feel better, but like I just could not get comfortable. And so I ended up getting an MRI, and it was weird because I was dancing the night before, like fully. And I don't remember one thing really happening. And so when they told me the news, like you have a very big herniated disc that's like pushing on your spinal cord, you can absolutely not dance. I was like, what do you mean? I was just dancing like three ballets yesterday.
0: And they were like, you have to
1: promise not to go to work. Like this is very serious.
0: Let me interrupt you for a second. I want to explain to people who are listening what the anatomic situation is sounds like. So, you know, we have bones in our spine, right? The vertebrae, which are the bony levels that are stacked on top of each other. And the bony levels, the vertebrae are separated by discs. Discs are these sort of jelly donuts that are flexible and live between the bony levels so that we can move and turn our heads. And in your case, dance, Swan Lake, with (laughs) elegance and flexibility. If we didn't have discs, we would be like a bamboo stiff rod. So it sounds like before this moment, you were having a stiff neck, which was like the muscles tensing around a vulnerable spot. But then when you had the tingling in your hand and that extreme pain, that to me sounds like the disc, the jelly donut, has kind of mushed, not a medical word, And is smushing again, not a medical word. It's smushing a nerve. The nerve that supplies sensation to our hand and arm comes off of our spinal cord like the legs of a centipede and has to traverse through the space where the disc is. So often when people have a stiff neck and it's just localized, that's muscle alone. But when you have that tingling, that is a sign of something, something more significant. You've got nerve irritation from a disc. And so, what what was it like at the moment when the doctor called you? What happened?
1: It was so horrific. Like I, I had to go to like a sports psychologist because the way I was told was so kind of traumatizing. I think that sometimes doctors aren't aware of how much their delivery affects the patient. And hearing it on the phone, and I remember I sensed it in his voice that it was really serious. And I remember saying to him, "But I, I'm going to be able to dance again, right?" you know, like at some point. And he was just like, we're going to take it one step at a time. And just hearing that, I immediately called my mom (laughs) because my family is in California and I'm in New York. So I immediately called my mom and was like, oh my God, mom, he like practically told me like I might never dance. Like that's not the words he used, but I, I don't know. I just think that's one thing in this whole journey that I've had that I wish that I could tell doctors is that we're looking to them because it's their wheelhouse and we know they know best, but really the way that you deliver the message can really affect the patient in a number of ways. And I feel like I really had to get past that trauma because every time somebody would ask me about it, it would like trigger this like thing in my body and my neck would get even tighter and I would tense up and it was so something I really had to work through and, you know, then I went on to see a bunch of different doctors because I wanted to get, you know, opinions because I mean, even my physical therapist who stuck by me like every single time I and mean, she's practically my like little guardian angel, I say, she's known me since I was 15 and she's gotten me back every step of the way. And she was very adamant. She was like, I don't want you to do surgery. To me, she would say, I always treat the patient in front of me. And I know her image looks like horrible, but she hasn't lost any of her strength or any of that stuff, which would be like really, really bad. So when you're saying her tests are good, like, would you still suggest surgery? And they were all like, yes. And one even said like, well, will you be responsible if she gets paralyzed? And I remember being in the room and just being like, oh my God, like, Oh, I'm just thinking about
0: it. it's pretty aggressive. It's It's pretty aggressive language, because it sort of suggests that the doctor was feeling threatened sort of ego wise or something like that. I mean, just going back to the delivering bad news or hard news to patients, I think you're completely right. You know, I think sometimes doctors, because we talk to patients every day all day long, forget how much people hang on our words, particularly when there's a vulnerable piece of information being shared. I also think it's important to recognize that and this is not excusing physicians at all, but I think a lot of doctors are scared themselves and feel vulnerable themselves. Like they are, this is not to excuse that delivery. I'm just saying that it makes me wonder if the physician who is almost overly direct was sort of experiencing his own sort of sense of fear and worry and, and was trying to sort of just be absolutist about the news. Cause here's the reality about a herniated disc. It's not a surgical mandate unless you have a fixed neurological deficit, like a weak hand and the disc is pushing directly on the spinal cord in an irreversible way. For a lot of people, time is the tincture and physical therapy is the best way to strengthen the muscles that are weak and unlock the muscles that are tight. That was the sort of genesis of the problem to begin with. In other words, it's not appropriate to tell someone or to suggest to someone they may not ever be able to dance again or do the thing they love, not just because we're supposed to sugarcoat and, and, and give people the best possible scenarios, but because these things are dynamic and we treat the patient, not the MRI. You treat the person who is a dynamic human being and not the finding on the MRI. The MRI is a snapshot. You know, it's like you wouldn't judge your family's well-being based on your Christmas card, right? You look at the, the dynamics before you would make a full assessment of what's actually going on. And so that's why you took yourself and your neck to your physical therapist, which ultimately sounds like it was the right thing to do.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I saw six doctors and it wasn't until the sixth one. <laughs> and it wasn't that he said, you don't absolutely need surgery. He didn't say that at all. Like he looked at me, he spent time with me and he said, look, is there like a million dollar contract I need to get you back to, you know? And I was like, no, my well being and the possibility of being able to dance and heal is my like number one goal. Like, what can we do? And he said, okay, then I would do absolutely nothing right now. And I want you to literally rest. He said, I've seen it before where they kind of reabsorb. I'm not telling you that this will happen. I can't predict it, but you're a professional athlete. And I like to try that first before rushing into anything. And, you know, after that, we'll wait six months more. And if it hasn't, we'll take another image and we'll see the progression. And if not, then we'll make the decision about surgery. Because I had already been out for months. And it was weird because... He still didn't tell me I was going to be fine. He didn't tell me I was going to be able to dance. But I left his office being like, if I ended up needing to get surgery, I want to do it with this person because of the time he took, the way he was, like you were saying, treating me as opposed to just my image, because my image was very scary. Like, I understand why some doctors might have been scared or said, like, you need to get this done but I just didn't want to get surgery based off of the fear that they were like inflicting on me. I wanted to get surgery when it was like the absolute last thing that I needed to do, because as a dancer and surgery, you never even know if that's going to work. Like if I were to get a fusion, then in like 10 years would I need another one or a disc replacement, they were like, that's what we would do with you because you're younger, but it's only been around for this long. So we don't know. And I was like 30. So it was just so much to handle, but that's what I meant by like, I really needed to find someone that I felt was really seeing me and treating me instead of just my image. And it took a long time for me to feel that way.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great point. Doctors are risk averse. And as you said, they see this, the scan and they think if this person as a professional dancer were to be paralyzed, that would be on them right? So it's easy for a surgeon to recommend surgery because it's you know pretty definitive. And the surgery, by the way, would have been, I'm assuming, taking the disc out or doing a fusion where they kind of create that bamboo-like structure between two vertebrae. But this is not only your profession and your career. It is your identity. It is everything to you to be able to dance. And your neck is an important, crucial part of the way you express yourself. And so, I think it's really important as I try to do and I think a lot of doctors want to do to really see the person beyond simply the lab tests or the scans which is not to say that surgery isn't completely appropriate for someone else again if you have someone who you know is in a car accident and they have a herniated disc that's parked on their spinal cord and and it's impinging a part of the spinal cord that is causing you know paralysis like that's a different story but what they should have said up front is that there are dynamic processes here and some of the treatment is time and time. If you're willing to undertake that and undertake the work in physical therapy, which a lot of other people wouldn't be willing to do, then that is an option. And it sounds like when you're given that option, that felt like you were given some power, some control.
1: Yeah, I just felt like I hadn't even been given the thought of my body being able to heal itself as even an option with the other doctors like it was like this will absolutely not heal you need to get into surgery like tomorrow and it was just so jarring and it, it was something within me that I was like it just doesn't feel right I don't know how to describe it but I just was like I know what they're telling me I see it too but I just didn't feel like surgery was the right thing for me. And also they would say, you know, with all of our professional football players, this is what we do. And I would say, I'm not a professional football player. I'm not getting run and tackled. You don't have to worry about that. Like I can be smart. I'm a dancer. If my neck can never go a certain way again, like I can do that while I'm dancing, but without having the fusion, like in a way, because yes, my physical therapist is like, you should never really look up to the sky or down without using, you know, your chest anymore. Like that's just how from now on your life is going to be. And that's fine with me. I'm like, I can deal with that. What I can't deal with is if I did have to get a fusion, like we have to bend our neck and ballet, you know, and they're like, oh, it'll be fine. It's, you know, just one segment. And I'm like, I just was like, I don't think you understand how much of a part of ballet that is. So I left that last doctor thinking, like I said to my physical therapist, I said, you know, if I need to get surgery, that's totally fine. And I would want to do it with this man. Like, I just knew that he was the right one. And I know that's kind of a hard thing to understand, but I just felt it like inside of me that this was the right way, like to spend the extra time, go back, and if nothing had changed, yes, okay, now I'm getting surgery because I trust this person, and this is what he's saying, as opposed to just, like, fear. You know, like, okay, I better get it tomorrow because I might be paralyzed.
0: Yeah, if I've learned nothing else, Tyler, in seeing patients for 22 years is that patients know themselves better than I know them. Like, I have some expertise and some training, and I have opinions about things, but the patient's Know generally what's up. In fact, sometimes when I'm trying to figure out a diagnosis with a patient and we're kind of scratching our heads and we've done a lot of lab tests and imaging studies, I'll say, you know, so what do you think is really going on? And sometimes they're like, oh, thanks for asking because actually I think it's this and they're right. So when you thought for a bit of time that you might not dance again, you might not be able to move your neck, what did that feel like emotionally?
1: Oh, it was so hard. I remember like saying to my mom, I was, I I remember saying this so clearly. I said, you know, I know I want to dance for a long time. At the time, I was like, I don't feel like I want to be in the New York City Ballet, you know, putting on point shoes in like my 40s. But I said to her, I wanted to be the one to be like, okay, this is the right time. I want to retire. And in those moments, I felt like, wow, like, okay, so I might have to retire right now. And that was hard for me to be like, I couldn't feel like, okay, I'm gonna have, you know, a set date. And I had this much longer to enjoy being at the ballet. And that was kind of a hard thing where I was like, it feels like somebody else or something is telling me when I have to stop. And that was hard. I turned to like a lot of energy healing because my physical therapist, her ex-husband, is actually an energy healer. And she was like, I want you to see him. And so between the two of them, that's what I did for that time off. And I swear that that's what healed me, the physical therapy and also the energy healing, because part of the energy healing was also just a lot of talking. A lot of the session would be talking and a lot of it would be like, you know, actual like work on a table. But there was a lot of things I needed to process, whether it was through the injury or through my personal life and I kind of needed to get everything in line. um, And I think that that's what really helped the healing happen. You know, you have to kind of give your body the right healing space. You know, if your mind and everything isn't like right, I think it will just either slow the process or maybe won't happen. And so I kind of felt like I'm up to try anything that will possibly like help this move along. And I feel like it wasn't until I started doing that that I really started like healing.
0: I think your physical therapist is first of all, a genius um, (laughs) for getting you this far. I know you're wedded to her. And also because she sent you to the sports psychologist and the energy healer, which regardless of what modality people pursue outside the physical work on a body part that's injured, I think you're right. Giving yourself that emotional space to heal is really important. It's hard to measure that in a blood test, like how much one needs to heal or kind of process, you know, feelings that may have lived in your neck. I mean, let's acknowledge that muscle tension when we're under stress, it it lives in our neck and our back. You know, it's why we say it's a pain in the neck when there's an obstacle in our way. It sounds like in your work with the energy healer, there is a lot of talking and maybe silence. Is that appropriate? Is that right?
1: Oh my God. Yes. My first session with him, we sat in silence for so long and I was so uncomfortable. I was like, I can't do this. I remember being like, should I be looking at him? This is so strange. Now I can sit in silence for so long. Like I remember we still meet up not as frequently, but I can sit there being silent for however long and not feel uncomfortable and I feel like it's because I know who I am I feel like I always did but I feel like I'm so much more certain after all this work that we did and it wasn't that it was tricking myself like it wasn't that he was saying you're gonna get better you know it wasn't any of that it was in fact he works with a lot of cancer patients and he says you know I have to say that it's not my work to be like, okay, we need to just think positively and you're going to rid your cancer. He's like, that's not actually the ones that heal. Like you have to know. And with this injury, the same thing, like it is the unknown that's hard. I can't tell you for sure if this will get better, but if you can be like true to yourself, like we can probably get all this energy working, which will help and allow it to have the space to heal. And I don't know. I just feel like I really learned a lot about myself and coming out of it. I just knew who I was.
0: Isn't that amazing, Tyler? Seeing someone like the energy healer or the sports psychologist isn't so that they say, you can do this, come on, like a coach or a cheerleader. As you just said, and I'm just going to say it back because I think it's so important. It's about leaning into that uncertainty and leaning into that vulnerability and then finding parts of yourself that you didn't know before, maybe that you were too busy to recognize or that you kind of carried in your muscles with tension before, you know, as a doctor, I'm trained not to believe in chiropractors or craniosacral specialists, but I send people not only to orthopedists because I do, of course, But I I commonly send people to physical therapists. I mean, they are kind of the holy grail of body mechanics to me. If you have a good body mechanic on your speed dial, like that's a good thing for whatever bothers you. I also send people to these craniosacral specialists who my patients will say to me, that sounds so woo-woo, Dr. McBride. You've got to be kidding me. And they go. And whether it's post-concussion or a neck injury or a back issue, they almost inevitably feel better. And I can't explain why, but it doesn't matter why. as long as they're feeling better.
1: It's so funny you say that because I was one of those people, like I would definitely have been like, oh, energy healer, what does that even do? Like, oh no, that's really just like a waste of money. I I mean, I'm a Capricorn, we like to like see results. I'm a dancer, I wanna know the end game. And that was just exactly what I couldn't do with this injury. And I swear by the energy healing. And like you said, the cranial sacral work, Honestly, that's pretty much all my physical therapist did with me for nine months.
0: It's incredible. She's trained
1: with everything. She is like the real deal. I like swear by her. Most of our therapy was literally cranial sacral work. We're like, you know, if somebody were watching us, like I remember after somebody read this article and they were an intern, they said, Oh my God, you know, I can't wait to watch you work with Tyler. And she was said, Well, you're gonna see. It doesn't look like we're doing much, but we are, you know, because it's not like a lot of manipulations. It's like my head just holding in her hands and her being able to sort of move the energy. And I mean, it definitely worked for me, for all those people that said it would never happen. Somehow I got back dancing and I have been for now like two years or something.
0: I was listening to you say to someone that during the time you were working on your healing and working with the energy healer and having those moments of silence, that you learned a lot about yourself, that you learned that you have always been an empathetic person, a compassionate person. You've always kind of felt other people's feelings, which is such a wonderful quality. It sounds like you learned during that time of reflection, how much you needed to steal that energy for yourself, that you hadn't been able to do that before, or maybe just not well enough. Tell me about that, if you could.
1: The biggest thing I think I learned was the power of being able to like say no for myself. Because like you said, I care so much about other people and I never wanted to like upset or displease somebody, but it was almost to a fault or sometimes I was like, wait, I don't think I'm actually like even worrying about what I want to do. And through this whole process, I kind of just learned that like, it's okay to like be asked to go dance somewhere and to now at this point in my career to say, you know, I would, I would really love to, but I actually can't. Like if it's something that didn't feel right to me. And at this point with my neck and how it is, like, I really do have to be more specific in what I take. Meaning like, I can't treat myself like I'm 16 years old with this like perfect neck, you know, I have to really say, okay, is this something I really want to do? And is it going to help me grow as an artist? And then, okay, like that's what I should do as opposed to saying yes to 20 things that were sent my way. And And that was something that was so hard for me. And now I'm able to do it. And it's not even like I feel guilty. Like I'm able to do it in a way that is just, you know, I, I put it out there and I say. You know, thank you so much for thinking of me, but I actually like, I'm just not able to do that at the moment. And then I don't feel guilty about it. I'm like, okay, I feel happy that I was able to say that because that's the way I'm truly feeling. And the people aren't even upset at me, you know, oh, I wish you could. But in my head, I had made this whole thing where, like, oh, these people are probably so upset and this and that. And then that was just so much stress that I didn't need constantly.
0: It's interesting because you are a performer, so you're pleasing other people and huge audiences, and the stakes are pretty darn high given the prominence of your role in the New York City Ballet. It's interesting to me that it took an accident or an injury like that to recognize or realize something that a lot of people never realized, that you needed to kind of turn the mirror on yourself and give yourself permission to put some boundaries in place. What do you think it was about the injury that forced you to rethink that?
1: I don't know, honestly. I think it was just the work I did with the energy healer and what we would talk about and just even learning in my life, like personal life and not even in a relationship, but just in everyday activities. You know, I learned how to, if I thought somebody was upset with me, you know, used to, I would sit with it for like days and agonize over, oh, are they, aren't they? And now I'm just able to like come forward right away and say, you know, I'm feeling something is off. Like, is there something, can we just talk about it? And I'm just, it's so much easier. I'm just feel like I'm a much better communicator and I needed that. Like, so maybe that was the reason I, I do believe everything happens for a reason, even if it is a very hard thing in life, but I like to look at what I kind of grew from. And I feel like that is like the thing that I'm most grateful for.
0: You came back after your injury and danced Swan Lake, which is pretty amazing. (laughs) How do you feel like your injury and the newfound sort of self-awareness informed how you related to the audience or how you moved physically?
1: I honestly don't know how she got me back, my physical therapist for this, because everything is back, you know, as a swan, it's not something so up and right. It's like really using your neck. And she was so creative with the way, I mean, I had gone back and I was terrified too. And she came in one day, she goes, I know how we're going to do it. I was like, okay, tell me. And she got this really big medicine ball. Like it's, it's a very big one. And she had me slowly start rocking back on it so that my neck could be supported, but that I could find that like arch within my spine. And that was how we got me past sort of the mental aspect of being able to go back. But also it was a way for me to train. Like when I go back, I can't just let my neck go anymore. You know, I have to really think of it being like a whole curve and, In a way, even when I was doing Swan Lake, I had to be very careful. Like, I know what my body can do now. And I had to, you know, always hold my neck and just not let it, like, whip. It made me focus on so many other parts of my dancing, which was a really nice change. You know, I was more vulnerable because of all the stuff that I went through. And I think that really carried over into the character because the White Swan is super vulnerable It came at a point where I was so excited to do it in this new version of me. And when I watch videos, I'm like, oh, my God, it was so much better. Like, I don't even see my neck. Like, I actually see more openness here because I had to. You know, I couldn't just rely on my neck to give the back. I had to do it from the whole spine. So, in a way, it looked freer, even though in my head, I was like trying to think of not looking stiff in a way. In my head, I thought, oh, I'm going to be so stiff looking after coming back from this injury and I'm never going to look like the same. And then I got to a point where I was like, why do I want to be the same ballerina? Like, I, I don't want to be. I need to use this to my advantage. And I'm happy with the way.
0: I am now. So that's incredible. It sounds like, again, it's like you gave yourself permission to explore other ways of moving, to explore other muscles in your chest and in your neck that maybe were just sort of on standby because you hadn't had to employ them. I mean, I think it's sort of a metaphor for how we recover from injuries in general. I mean, you have to figure out the workarounds and the path you wouldn't have chosen you have to walk down. And sometimes that path offers new insights and new adventures. And in your case, it sounds like your dancing was even better than before. I heard someone say that your neck looks even longer on stage.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it has to like, I can't shorten it. There was a lot of things that we worked on. And so my posture definitely got better and just a lot of things. Yeah.
0: You're a role model, Tyler, for so many young dancers, young women. Does this affect how you teach them? I mean, you teach them, obviously, ballet, but do you incorporate into your mentorship lessons about body mechanics and vulnerability and, you know, setting boundaries? What does that look like when you've got little girls around the country looking up at you, starry-eyed? Yeah,
1: I think that a lot of people, you know, also after the injury article will like reach out to me if they're injured. And like, I ran into somebody on the street two days ago, I never knew her and she was on crutches. And, you know, she was like, I just had surgery like 17 days ago, I tore my ACL. And, you know, I just took time with her. And I said, you know, you're at a point right now where it feels like it's never going to get better. But just know that like, there is another side. And it's so hard to acknowledge that when you're in it because it feels like it's like this huge mountain that you're never going to get over but I try to really always give advice and it's just who I am so when I am teaching I talk about things that like okay like you know I'm doing this now but this is for my body which might not work for your body make sure that you're figuring it out because there is not one way and I think that that's kind of what I learned is like you know and what the doctors were kind of making me feel like was that there's one way to fix this and I was like but we're all different people you know and everybody's body is different and I think that's something that I hope that people are able to get from my injury is not that oh you should never do surgery it's not that it's just that make sure you feel like it's right for you and that you've been seen and heard like really heard from whoever is taking care of you and I know not a lot of people have a support team like me, like where I had my physical therapist, you know, right there with me saying, you know, I know this doctor said this, but like, let's still just keep pushing through. Because my dad was in that appointment where he said, you know, like, well, are you going to be responsible for her being paralyzed? And as soon as we left, he was like, you're getting the surgery tomorrow. I'm daddy's girl and he wants me to be well. And I wanted to be well too, but I just said, dad, like, I would never do surgery with that doctor just by the way he was with me. Like, I didn't feel like he saw me at all. Even if I need to get surgery, I would never do it with him. So that's, I I think, a very important lesson.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. And I think our job in medicine is to guide patients, to treat them. But ultimately, it's to hand the baton to the patient themselves to be able to trust their body and trust themselves because... You know, I'm not with my patients every day of the year. Health is really about the 364 days a year. They're not in my office. And I'm hoping that when I talk to them about a problem or just prevention, I'm giving them tools they can use in their everyday life. It's not just about seeing me and getting a prescription and then that's it. And it sounds like you really learned to trust your own body. You trusted the process and you were incredibly patient. You didn't use your neck for what, like five months?
1: I guess it would have been like seven months.
0: That's a long time. I mean, in a dancer's life, that's a long time. And your career isn't going to be on stage forever.
1: Mm-hmm. It, was a long, it was a long time. And I'm a very impatient person. So it was really hard, but it, it was really good for me. I don't wish that upon anybody, you know, that they need to go through something traumatic to come out on the other side. But I, I will say that I now look at it as it was the worst time in my life, but also a very important like, lesson for me
0: to have to, to go yeah. through. Yeah, I think it sounds like relinquishing control, being vulnerable, giving yourself space, being kind to yourself and you know, giving yourself permission to say no when maybe you didn't before and then learning alternative ways to dance that are actually even more beautiful. I mean, that's always what we hope with adversity, right? Whether it's physical, emotional or both. And so I think you're living proof, Tyler, that there's something called post-traumatic growth where you experience a trauma and you follow your gut and then you actually make meaning out of it. Not everyone has the luxury of doing that, but when you can, it's really good to share that with others to give them hope and inspiration. You know, my job as a doctor isn't to give people false hope and say, oh, everything's going to be okay. You know, just do what I say and it'll be fine. I have to be realistic. I have to meet people where they are. But hope is also healthy. And when you can deliver someone a little bit of hope, like, hey, this is a bad situation, but here's what you can do, and then give them some agency, I mean, that's when people really heal. I agree. What's on the horizon for you vis-a-vis dancing and career-wise? What's up next?
1: Well, we just finished our New York City Ballet's fall season, and the next season will be obviously rehearsal period and then the cracker. So Nutcracker is actually the ballet that made me want to be in the New York City ballet and so now that I get to play the Sugar Plum Fairy it's pretty full circle I've done it for I don't know I think like 10 years now Sugar Plum I mean I've been in the company I think for 17 or 18 so I've been doing the Nutcracker for like 18 years but it just never gets old I feel like it's like so quintessential New York and I love it so so much so I have that and I have some tours where I'm going to be taking a show that I thought of, created, directed, danced in, and it's going to be touring overseas and here. So I'm really excited about that.
0: Yeah. It sounds like during the pandemic, you really cultivated your love for producing and choreography, which I mean, I guess no one would ever say they wish the pandemic on anybody, but it sounds like it, it allowed you to kind of grow those interests a little more.
1: Yeah, it definitely gave me freedom. I got to go home. I spent 10 months at home in California with my family, which was amazing. I'm very close with my family, and we live so far away from each other that it was a nice time. I didn't mind the pandemic. I got to do a lot of things and I got to be creative. And I think the injury really sparked that because I was like, I can't be off for another year. I just came from being off for nine months and I got back. I did one season in the pandemic. And so it just wasn't an option for me. So I just had to find ways to keep myself dancing. And it was, it was really fun.
0: I so enjoyed watching you on Instagram during the pandemic. I mean, I'm not a ballerina. I'm not a dancer. But your energy and your enthusiasm and just the creativity that you brought to the camera multiple times a week was so fun. And we all needed a dose of joy during this dark time in our history. Thank you.
1: It got me through the pandemic, so I really love when I hear that it it helped other people too during their days because it was a hard time for everyone
0: a hundred percent Tyler, I am so grateful for you for coming on the show and talking about your physical injury and your recovery and sort of the way you learned about yourself over the course of this difficult time and I just wish you all the best and I can't wait to see you dance again, which I have before. And I can't wait to see your new neck on stage.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I really enjoyed our conversation.
0: All right, Tyler, have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you all for listening to Beyond the Prescription. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, download, and share the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you catch your podcasts. I'd be thrilled if you like this episode to rate and review it. And if you have a comment or question, please drop us a line at info at lucymcbride.com. The views expressed on this show are entirely my own and do not constitute medical advice for individuals. That should be obtained from your personal physician. Beyond the Prescription is produced at Podville Media in Washington, D.C.